Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Victor Varnado. I want to assure everybody, this is not a story about a threesome. (laughs) Okay? It's not. That and more, but before that, postage rates have gone up again, but Stamps.com can ease the pain with big discounts off post office retail rates. With Stamps.com, you can save five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Stamps.com automatically calculates and prints the exact amount of postage you need for every letter or package you send, so you'll never overpay or underpay. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. It's so easy. We've been using it at risk and the Story Studio for years. They send you a free digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage. They'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. And right now, Risk listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and that digital scale. See for yourself why over 700,000 small businesses use Stamps.com. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show.
kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Mike Post behind me now, the theme from the Rockford Files <laughs> for any of you other children of the 70s out there. We are calling this week's episode, What is Happening? Well, actually, what's happening? There's an apostrophe in it, if you want to get really technical. Three stories about confusing situations recorded at three completely different Risk Live shows. But first, I want to give a little shout out. We have a new Patreon patron who is donating $25 or more per month. And that is Diocelin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I also want to give a shout out to two of our volunteers, Risk fans who volunteered to help me out at our Cleveland show and our Cincinnati show this past weekend. Both phenomenal shows. Uh, They were Amy Phipps and Michael Miller. Holy cow, they could not have been more adorable and super helpful. Thank you to you guys. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from the hilarious Mike Bobrinskoy, his very first time on the podcast. But before that, we're going to hear from one of our favorites and one of my favorite people in New York City, Victor Varnado. Victor told this story at the Bell House in Brooklyn. It was a while back, actually. You can find him at victorvarnado.com. And here he is now with a story we call Dungeon Master. So when I was in high school, I did terribly with women. I'm a black albino. Um, I have black parents, but I have light skin and light hair. If you didn't know that, surprise. But in high school, I was also a black albino. So uh, that coupled with the fact that I had a lazy eye and I had really, really low self-esteem, as you know, like all that whole combination will make women go, no thanks. So I was bad with the ladies. But then, like right after high school, when I was in the, the beginnings of college, I was like 20, 21 years old, something happened that increased my attractiveness to women immediately. I learned how to dance. Yeah, I learned how to dance. Now, I lived in Minneapolis, and I was a really good dancer. I was good enough so that when they were shooting music videos in Minneapolis and they called to the good dancers, like my phone would ring, and they'd be like, hey, good dancer, and I'd be like, hell yeah. So I would go dance, and that made me more popular. I had a rap group. Half of our shtick was dancing. It was me and my brother, who is not an albino. We called ourselves brothers of another color. Yep, that's 100% real. And uh, we were good dancers. And so I hung out at this club called Glam Slam, which was owned by Prince, okay? It was owned by Prince. I did shake Prince's hand once. His handshake is ridiculous. So I was at this club called Glam Slam, owned by Prince, and I would go and I would dance. And at Glam Slam, if you were a good dancer, they treated you like royalty, like people would high-five me, people would buy me drinks. And as you know, some women, if you're a good dancer, are like, A-OK, I like this guy. 
That immediately led me to meeting this woman. Her name was Tammy, okay? Now, Tammy was way beyond my league, okay? Like, way beyond. Tammy was like thigh-high boots. She was like metallic short shorts. She was like platinum blonde hair and drugs. She was a go-go dancer. Like, she was amazing way beyond me, okay? And I was dancing, and one day she came up to me and she was like, hey, you're a good dancer. What are you doing after uh, the club tonight? Uh, And then she took over, and then we were dating. So, (laughs) Tammy was in control. I was dating Tammy, and here's the thing, okay? Tammy sexually was also way beyond me because she was way into BDSM. Okay? That was like her shit. She was only the third woman I'd ever had sex with. And the first two times I had sex weren't all that great or eventful. The first time I had sex was actually in high school. I know I mentioned that I was really shy and women hated me, but there's one woman who could see through all the shyness to the hunky center. And she and I, like, we were at a party, and she took me to her room at a party, and she's like, let's get down and have some sex. And just as we were about to begin, one of my friends, his name was David, he burst into the room with a jar full of pickles and tried to give everybody pickles. I don't know why. He ruined the moment. I didn't have a chance to redeem myself. It was over. Okay? The second woman... I ever had sex with. I was like 19, 20. This was my girlfriend, okay? And she and I both knew that we wanted to get to like something more risque. We were having sex a lot. We're trying to figure it out. We wanted to do something risque, but I didn't know what I was doing. She didn't know what she was doing, which led to some missteps. For instance, for instance, one time she was like, hey, would you like to pretend to be a werewolf and kind of chase me around? So I pretended to be a werewolf. I was growling, chasing her around. We never did it again. It really sucks. So the third woman I was going to ever have sex with was Tammy. It went from like all this like we don't know what we're doing to like this woman who's like, choke me, motherfucker. It's a lot. Now, Tammy and I would meet earlier before we would get into sex and she would tell me what she wanted to happen. She would be like, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And then I would come back later and act like everything was my idea and I was the guy in charge who hadn't been told hours ago what to do. (laughs) I gotta be honest, like when you are eating a bowl of Cheerios watching Star Wars on TV while ignoring your girlfriend who is naked, chained to a radiator, it starts to change you. (laughs) It does. It starts to change you. I mean, not in a bad way. You guys, I was actually, I was really happy. I was having a good time. I felt powerful. It was a lot of fun. And in fact, as we continued, I started to be the architect of some of our, like, games. And it was just a whole bunch of fun. We are having the best time. So Tammy and I... We were both good dancers. She was a go-go dancer. I was a, you know, whatever kind of dancer I categorized as. And we would go to Glam Slam together. Now, Glam Slam, if you're a good dancer, especially if you're a couple that was a good dancer, uh, they would put you in the VIP section sometimes. You'd get to go upstairs and look down on the uh, other people who had less rhythm, so they were peasants. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so we were up in the VIP section, and I remember one time I was looking down at this woman, and her name was Debbie. Now, Debbie was very pretty. Uh, she was beautiful. I was looking at her, and then Tammy caught me looking at her, okay? And Tammy was like, hey, are you looking at that girl? And I was like, uh, yeah, but I was a mistake. I'm sorry. And she goes, no, 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 no. It's not a problem. And I thought that was the end of it. One week later, I'm at my house. It's me and my friends. It's Saturday night. We're hanging out. And then there's a knock at the door, okay, that interrupts us. Okay, I open the door, and it is Tammy with Debbie together. Tammy had convinced Debbie to come to the house for a threesome She'd never met me, sight unseen. (laughs) Sight unseen. I want to assure everybody, this is not a story about a threesome. (laughs) Okay? It's not. (laughs) It's not a story about a threesome. This is a story about the choices that you make that determine the person whom you become. Now, remember when I said that Tammy was way out of my league. She was, because it was Saturday night, 21 years old, me and my friends were hanging out at my house. Tammy showed up with a threesome. My friends and I were playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. We were playing Dungeons and Dragons. I remember because we were arguing over like how the treasure was gonna be split up. It's like, who gets the plus two magic sword? I mean, you'd think it was the fighter, but it's a short sword, so maybe the thief should get it. (laughs) So Tammy was there with Debbie, and they're ready to get down. They're go-go dancers, they were hot, they were nightclub women, they were dressed in sexy clothes, they were a little bit drunk, giggling all over the place. I had to make a choice, because I was at a crossroads. I had to make a choice. Was I going to be go-go dancer threesome guy or Davon the assassin? (laughs) So what I did was I said to Tammy, and I can't believe I actually said this, hey, would you mind waiting in my room while we finish this game? (laughs) (laughs) Tammy... Loved it. I accidentally dominated her. (laughs) She thought I was ignoring her. And I accidentally dominated her. And she went into the room with Debbie. And then she was getting ready. And she was just happy as ever. And my friends were like, what the fuck, dude? We sat down. We started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Again, I just wanted to be an elf a little while longer. (laughs) So we started to play. Admittedly, it was pretty unfocused. (laughs) We were rolling the dice that were falling off the table. We couldn't do math. We're like, ah! So eventually my friends were like, Victor, I think you have something to do. And they left, okay? My friends left. And it left me with Tammy and Debbie, all right? So I roll back to the room, and I open the door, and there they are. Now, I will say this. 
I'm not going to tell you all the details of what happened, but it was my first time, and I did my best. Thanks a lot, everybody. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dread, 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 dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold, 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 cold from your first blip. Your enormous beast gets a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. The choice is unlimited. Stand and fight, or run. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. Dun, 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 Dungeons and Dragons. Victory is yours. Dun, 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 Dungeons and Dragons. Products of your imagination. of your imagination. So, a little bit about me. I used to be a uh, wholesome Midwestern boy. You know, always quick to open the door to a stranger. And then two years ago, one of those strangers stole my innocence not like my virginity, just my naive optimism. We didn't fuck. I got a text from my landlord two years ago that said um, a realtor was going to be showing my apartment at 10 a.m. So hour after 9, hour before 11. You guys know 10. I wake up the next morning to a knock on my door. I uh, answer it half asleep, and it's just... The guy. The couple hasn't showed up yet that he's going to show it to. He is wearing black dress pants, a blue button down, and he is pale. If a redhead is calling you pale, (laughs) you are Boo Radley's ghost. He was pale. He was like a brunette me without freckles. Like if the inside of my arm was a person. He looked a lot like Ken Davies. Do you guys know Ken Davies from my high school? He was... It was a shot in the dark. So I invite him in. He comes in, and he asks to use the bathroom. So I'm like, go ahead. I sit down, and I turn on an episode of Seinfeld. He's in the bathroom for minimum 10 minutes, and I never hear a flush. So he's either doing drugs, or worse, he pissed in my sink. I'm selfish and a germaphobe. That's worse to me. (laughs) So he comes out of the bathroom. I'm watching Seinfeld. He sits down in the chair next to me, and he starts watching Seinfeld with me. And we watch Seinfeld for 18 minutes in silence. And the whole time I'm wondering, where are these people that he's showing my apartment to And why isn't he meeting them outside? And so I look at my phone to see how late they are. And the clock says that it is 7 a.m. Now, the realtor is supposed to come at 10 a.m. So I say, who are you? And he says, what? And I said, you're not showing my apartment. And he says, no. (laughs) 
And I think to myself, which we sometimes think, oh my God, am I about to die right now? (laughs) That's insane. How naughty. I'm like, this is not just a stranger in my apartment. This is a stranger who's comfortable with just sitting down and watching Seinfeld with me in my apartment. So I'm like, what am I going to do if he like pulls out a knife? And so I look to my kitchen and I see my kitchen knives. And I start having this internal debate, which is would I rather stab someone or get stabbed? (laughs) And I'm like, I'd rather get stabbed. Because I'm not going to live the rest of my life with the memory of, ah, in my brain. And also, what if I like it? So, I'm going to die. And I start making peace with it, thinking, you know, like, you know, my friends will probably make some dope Facebook posts about me, <laughs> exaggerating how good of a person I was. So, I'm accepting death. Then I get this glimmer of courage, Right? I build myself up, and I say, dude, you gotta go. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, what? And he said, get out of here, man. And he said, there's two minutes left. And I was like, where do you think you are right now? And he goes, is this 3015 North Kenmore? And I go, nope. That's a couple houses down. And I swear to God, he goes, and starts watching Seinfeld again. For the podcast listeners who didn't see my face, he reacted to, you have the wrong house, as if I said, can you believe Elaine is dating Putty? (laughs) So I say, get the fuck out of here, man. And he says, why? And I said, I think we think we're different people. And he goes, ugh, fine. Like, he's pissed at me about it. And so I kick him out, and he's like, he walks out, and I, like, look through the window, and I see him leaving, and he, like, turns back longingly at my apartment, which is an innocent expression, but in the moment, in context, it was like, could have murdered that guy. Okay, that's it. You have all the information. I am not withholding anything from you. So many questions, right? Was it a drug deal? It's 7 a.m. He's dressed up nice. If he's on his way to work, he wouldn't have watched an entire episode of premium television. Was it a sex deal? It's 7 a.m. again. I don't want to yuck anybody's yums, but watching Seinfeld is a weird foreplay. So, I am going to tell you this story again from his perspective. (laughs) And the only way that makes sense to me. So, let's just pretend he's also a great storyteller. So, two years ago, I met a guy on Craigslist to watch Seinfeld without speaking. And... I get to his house, I knock on the door, and he answers the door, and this guy is handsome. He's so handsome, but 
He's pale. He's very pale. And if a ghost is calling you pale, you have red hair. So, but I envy his freckles. So he lets me in, and immediately I ask to use the bathroom. And I go into the bathroom, you know, just do some drugs, piss in his sink. I'm in there for two minutes, tops. And I come out of the bathroom, and he started the episode without me. Rude. So I sit down, and we're watching the show. And two minutes left, this guy tells me I have the wrong house. So I respond by giving him a look that says, I know, right? (laughs) And keep watching the show. And then he kicks me out of the apartment. And so I leave. And as I leave the apartment, I look back at the address and I see the address. And I think, oh my God, I almost murdered the wrong guy. (laughs) Still so many questions, right? How do we get answers? I was thinking, do I go to 3015 North Kenmore, start knocking on doors? But it's a seven-floor building with lots of apartments. And then, like, I become the weird stranger. And then those people want to know who I am, so they start knocking on doors, and it just becomes this pandemic of strangers trying to find out who people are. So I'm, like, not going to do that. So... I go back to the presumed source and I make a Craigslist misconnections ad. (laughs) And I have it here. (laughs) Subject, George to my Jerry. (laughs) Body, we watched Seinfeld for 18 minutes at 7 a.m. together. I thought you were going to murder me, but you didn't. Props. (laughs) I don't know. Questions. Why were you there? Was it a drug deal? Was it a sex deal? Was it a drug and sex deal? Why am I missing out on all of these dope deals? Sincerely confused. And you're not going to believe it, but two days later, Chaboy got a response. An email from an anonymous Craigslist user that reads... Yo, you dumb and gay. So the mystery continues. Inconclusive. The real realtor showed up three hours later at 10 a.m. on time, and I treated that shit like a hostage situation. I was like, show me the couple so I know they're alive. I give you the apartment, you give the viewing, nobody gets hurt. And now he has a story. So thank you very much. I've been Mike Wawrinski. I 
risk i was nine years old when the lady next door took myself and the boy next door to uh, camelot records to buy our first ever records with our own allowance money i got magical mystery tour he got what's it called breakfast in america by super tramp <laughs> i remember thinking my choice was so so much more highbrow than his before Supertramp, we heard from Mike Bobrinskoy, who you can find at MikeBobrinskoy.com. And before that, a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. A uh, little Dungeons & Dragons thingamabib there. Our final story on this week's episode. It is such an honor and a treat to finally have her on the show. Liz Winstead first appeared on Risk many, many years ago, but we lost the recording. But here she is now. She told this story at the recent Risk live show at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. If you don't know Liz, you've got to know Liz. She is the co-creator of The Daily Show and the founder of Lady Parts Justice that you can find at ladypartsjustice.com. I'll talk more about that after the story. So without further ado, here is Liz Winstead with a story we call All Knocked Up and no place to go. pregnant the first time I ever had sex. <laughs> call it luck of the draw. Actually, call it luck of the withdrawal, because really, that's what it was. Um, I was brought up in Minnesota, Catholic, thank you, um, 
and 16. And 16 is that weird age to lose your virginity because you're a know-it-all, but you don't know anything, and your hormones are raging, but you're not that smart, and you're Catholic, so you want to make sure that you're not having sex. (laughs) And then you're also just trying to mitigate your badness versus your goodness, right? And so it's constantly a negotiation when you're Catholic, and you're going to have sex. So I was like, okay... If I have sex and use birth control, I'll be committing two sins. So if I remove a sin, God won't be as mad at me. So because I'm smart and I'm 16, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to fuck. I'll remove the birth control part because it'd be weird to be like, I'm just going to be on birth control and never have sex. That wouldn't be a good sin. So I decided I'm not going to use birth control. Because I just figured, I can't get pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant. I'm popular. (laughs) I have pom-poms in my room. I have a future. (laughs) So I have sex without birth control. uh, And then I don't get my period. And I'm like, well, clearly that's God putting it off because I have things to do. (laughs) Then I was like, I got to find out I'm not pregnant. And it was like 100 years ago. I'm fucking ancient. This was like before there was just pee on a stick and go about your business. It didn't exist. So I was like, shit, I have to go someplace and find out I'm not pregnant and I don't know what to do. But the first thing I have to do is talk to my boyfriend. And my boyfriend was exactly what you would assume a 16-year-old hockey player with a mullet would be like. So when I said, I think I'm pregnant, maybe, but probably not, he reacted the way a 16-year-old hockey player with a mullet would. He was like, weren't you on something? And I was like, I was on you. <laughs> Gravity, another thing. Um, and so he said, well, you're on your own because I'm not fucking in this. Yeah, so I'm 16, I'm Catholic, I am for sure think I'm probably not pregnant, but I feel sad and I feel freaked out and I feel like I don't know what I'm going to do because i got to find some place to find out if I'm pregnant. And I can't go to the doctor that I delivered me. <laughs> and then I just feel like shit, right? I feel like, shame that I had sex and I don't know what to do and I, I'm literally panicking and I get on the bus and I see an ad on the bus between the we treat feet ad and some carpet cleaner there it was free pregnancy tests choices, options and I was like yes this is clearly a sign from God because I'm busy <laughs> And there's no phone number. There's only an address. So I have to go there. And it said, come anytime. Walk-ins welcome. So I was like, okay. 
I'm going to go. It was called the Southside Life Care Center. I'm like, I'm in. So I take the bus to the Southside Life Care Center, and it's spelled care with a K. Should have been a sign. I walk in and up the steps, and it's a, it looks like a house, right? It doesn't look like a doctor's office. It looks like a house, which I find warm at first. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's a house. I'm going to go in, and I go, and it felt very comfortable. You know, there was like one of those red plaid couches from the 70s, and a round coffee table with like literature on it. That, well, not literature, like books, like pamphlets about what a whore I am, but, you know, (laughs) that it felt like I looked around, you know, I like, oh, it had the, the thorn painting, like we had at our house, you know, did you guys, I don't know if you brought up Catholic, but we had a picture, and it was, you plug it in, and it's a throbbing heart that bleeds, (laughs) and those praying hands that are bronze and mounted to plywood, you know, those hands that are like, like to help you can't (laughs) and and it went from feeling okay to feeling kind of weird like I wish there was at least like one like human body anything anywhere and then I just kind of got nervous and but I I was gonna wait and I saw a thing on the table that said uh, go into the bathroom uh, and on the back of the, of the toilet will be a cup for you to pee in. Leave it there, and somebody will be out to see you shortly. So I was like, okay, medical instructions. So I was trying to find the bathroom, and uh, I couldn't identify it right away because it was hidden on the, on the door was the Footprints poem. You know that poem where it was Jesus, and, you know, I, there was two sets of footprints and then one because I was carrying you, and... Uh, magic so I opened it and realized it's the bathroom and I peed and I left it there and I waited and waited and looked around and freaked out until the doctor appeared from the same door that I went to the bathroom I guess there was a door behind that door I don't know (laughs) but out came the doctor and it wasn't until I realized you know it wasn't a doctor. I mean, she was wearing a lab coat, but really anybody can, you know, the Lancome counter, they have a lab coat. So, um, but she walked out in the lab coat and she's carrying a big book and she sits me down and she says, I have the test back and they're positive. And I was like, yes, you know, thinking positive for me because I have things to do because I'm popular. Um, And she says, well, I'm glad you're happy because you're going to have a baby. And I was like, I can't. Oh, my God. I went there to talk about abortion, and I'm Catholic, so I want her to bring it up. So she's got a book. I'm assuming it's the abortion book. (laughs) And so she says, well, I've got this book. And I was like, yes. She opens it up, and the first page is that mangled fetus picture that you see outside of every clinic, that there's one mangled fetus picture that has been taken in the history of the world, and every single one of them has it. So I look at the picture, and I look at her, 
And she says, this is the size of your baby now. And then she turns the book, and there's literally a picture of a six-year-old kid on a bike. (laughs) And I'm like, is all of this from my pee? You got these pictures? (laughs) Like, I'm 16, but I'm not an idiot. (laughs) So... I just keep thinking about the sign that's on the bus that said choices, options, right? And so I said, so, so um, can we talk about my choices? And she said, oh, of course. Uh, your choices are you can carry the child to term and raise that baby. And clearly I'm not connecting with that one. <laughs> and she says, or you can carry the child to term and give it up for adoption. I'm like... (laughs) And she's not saying it, so I have to say it. And I was like, what about abortion? And she stared at me with these steely eyes, and she said, don't you know? Abortion's against our law. Okay, this is 1979. She said abortion's against our law. What do I hear? The law, right? So now I'm totally freaked out because I think that I'm asking her to commit murder with me. I'm feeling completely freaked out. I don't know what to do, but I feel really scared. And so I said, um, I, I think that I... I don't know what I want to do, so can you, um, can you give me time? Do I have time? She goes, you have all the time you need. And I said, I, okay, um, I, think I, I think I need time because my boyfriend isn't going out with me anymore and I'm just not ready to be a mother. And she says, those are things you should have thought about before. And I didn't think about it before. I was fucking 16. And I said, I, I got to go. Because all of a sudden, it became very clear that I wasn't going to get what I needed there. And I, and I was going to the door. And right as I put my hand on the door, she looked down at the clipboard I had filled out because she didn't remember my name. And she goes, just remember, Liz, your choices are mommy or murder. I got outside and I leaned against the house and I was hyperventilating because I was completely freaked out. This creepy guy had dumped me. I was pregnant. I couldn't tell my parents. I was totally... I I didn't know what the fuck to do. So I just got back on the bus and I look up and I see an ad on the bus that says abortion. But I don't know if it's a trick. It could be a trick. Right? And so now I just feel gaslit. I I mean, like, I didn't... Still, I feel gaslit. I was 16. But, like, that was the emotion I was feeling. So I was like, I don't have a choice. I have to go to that abortion place, and I don't know if I'm going to get another fakey Macy's counter person again. (laughs) But I have to go. So they had a phone number. So I went to a pay phone, because I wasn't going to call from my parents' house. And... um, I call and I said, can I make an appointment for an abortion? 
And they said, yes, you can. You have to come. When would you like to? And I was like, tomorrow? (laughs) And they're like, well, we don't know if you can have an abortion tomorrow because we don't know how far along you are, but you can make an appointment and come and talk to us. And I said, about abortion? (laughs) And they were like, yes, we perform abortions. And I was like, those are the words I needed to hear. So, <laughs> so I, I went down to the place, and it was an independent abortion provider who are, uh, if you don't know a lot about how abortion care works, you probably know a lot about Planned Parenthood and very little about independent providers. Planned Parenthood is sort of like Whole Foods. <laughs> And your independent abortion provider is kind of like your, your local co-op. So I went to the local co-op. And I walk in and I talk to a counselor. And the counselor says, tell me about your life. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? Do you want to be a mom? Have you ever thought about that? I was like, I've actually never wanted to be a mom. Hmm. So being pregnant probably isn't conducive to things that you think about for your future. And this person asked me a series of questions that could have gone either way, that could have told me, you know what, I think I want to have this kid, or reaffirming what I needed for myself. And it reaffirmed what I needed for myself. And I had my abortion, and the next day I danced in the uh, state high school dance line, third, came in third. Yeah. Um, because abortion for me was something I wanted and needed and wasn't a big deal. And sometimes it's not, right? In fact, I I was going to say, I was wondering when I was telling the story, do I even talk about the fact that I had the abortion? Because it was not a big deal. And sometimes it's not, right? The process with which I needed to get an abortion and the hurdle I had to go through and ending up at that fake clinic was the part that was the really sort of horrible part that I had to get through. And I had my abortion, I went about my life, and 25 years later, all of these laws start happening all around the country. Like literally in 27 states, clinics are closing down. I'm somebody who throughout my career has called out hypocrisy, uh, been on the front lines of politics, didn't ever center this, walked away because I was privileged and I was lucky. And as I watched these clinics close down, I was like, I have to participate and do something about this because I got to have my life because I got to have a safe legal abortion. And so I called up Planned Parenthood um, and said, hey, um, I want to drive around the country in a van with my dogs and raise money for you. And they were like, we should call the police, (laughs) because that sounds bad. Um, And then we talked a little further, and they go, okay, that sounds cool. And what started out as a six-week tour has ended up me going to over 200 clinics to... Not only to raise money, but to visit the workers. Because one thing I discovered is that when you work in abortion care, oftentimes people are abandoned. People have their procedures and they leave. 
people have to drive home a different way from work every single day because they provide abortion. They sometimes can't get someone to mow their lawn or to fix their fence or to do any roofing. So four years ago, I formed an organization called Lady Parts Justice League. And we... We're comics and actors and writers who drive around the country in a van <laughs> and do shows like this. And then afterwards, we actually do talkbacks with the providers in that community and the activists. And our audience, just like this, learns about what those clinics need. And then their activist base grows. And I was doing a show in upstate New York in a rural clinic. And the physician came up to me afterwards and he said, Liz, one of the reasons that I love that you do this is because I see 40 patients a day and 30 of those patients, from the time they find out they're pregnant till the time they get to me, no one has ever been kind to them. So for you to be here to show kindness to those patients when you're walking them inside and to show kindness to my staff and I because of the work we do, uh, we couldn't do it because of the stigma we felt. And I realized I was that person when I, from the second I found out I was pregnant until I got to that independent clinic, no one had been kind to me. And that's why I do what I do, because I refuse to have any person who needs an abortion to ever feel like they're alone and that no one will ever be kind to them. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Courtney Marie Andrews behind me now, and we just heard from Liz Winstead. Now, you have to check out Lady Parts Justice at LadyPartsJusticeLeague.com or on Twitter at LadyPJustice. They mix comedy with activism and just do wonderful work 
all around the country. Another thing is, don't forget, we can impeach Brett Kavanaugh. Did you know that? I mean, he did lie under oath multiple times quite blatantly during his confirmation. Just something to keep in mind. Don't forget, you can always find new information about where the next Risk Live shows are happening at risk-show.com slash tour. And please pitch us your stories at risk-show.com slash submissions and spread the word to your friends to do the same. If you want to learn more about storytelling in general, we have a school that does that. (laughs) It's at thestorystudio.org. So look up our one-on-one training that we do over Skype, our in-person workshops, our online courses you can download and take in your own time, and our corporate training. That's all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. instruments and just take a breather. Oh! What? 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 What?